This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of October 17th, 2022. This is the beginning of the Second Chance Tournament. Woohoo! The Second Chance Tournament! It was very exciting. And they have a new intro for it. Which, of course they do, because they always have a new intro mm-hmm. for the tournaments. It just didn't cross my mind that it would be... I mean, of, but of course it is something special and something new, so... Mm-hmm. Have people been asking you why you are not on the Second Chance Tournament? Uh, not specifically, but really people have just asked me in general, when are you going to go back on Jeopardy? And I'm like, that's not how that works. Right. Sometimes I had my time. Sometimes I'll tell people I make a podcast about Jeopardy and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's great. Because like, you never know when they'll want you to come back on. I'm like, I don't think that they will. And that is not what this is about. But thank you. (laughs) I am confident that they will. And I always tell them the same thing. I'm like, well... It's extremely unlikely that I will ever be back on. But if they gave me a call, I would say yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a hot second. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. As would anybody. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. this whole second chance thing is about, right? You get another chance to go on Jeopardy. Yes. Yes. I mean, I had my second chance, and it was awesome. And I would take a third chance. I don't think there's anybody who... Except, apparently, Ken Jennings, but that's just so he could host it, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, I'm done competing, but also. Yeah. Only Ken can do what Ken did. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, before we get there, Emily, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's hard to believe that it is late October. We went and got fitted for ski gear today. Fun. Which, like, I'm still meaning to get around to the spring cleaning. Like, I don't even... <laughs> Tell me about it. There were summer projects that I still have on my to-do list. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> the uh, inevitable march of time never fails to surprise me. So, nope. yeah, doing all right. All the yeah. normal, annoying little stressors. We're full in full swing with the school year and with things at the church and, you know, just in the trenches, getting things done, figuring things out. Apparently, it's almost ski season. I don't know. Yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I'm okay. My uh, my older daughter was in the hospital this, uh, yeah. this week. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was her birthday on Sunday, and she wasn't able to take breaths, so or at least full mm. breaths. Yeah. She had pneumonia and RSV. Mm-hmm. Which is a potent combination, apparently. Yeah. But, like a like but, a bacterial pneumonia? Yeah, so bacterial pneumonia and RSV is a is a viral infection. So Yeah. She got the antibiotics for the pneumonia and we just had to wait for the RSV to resolve yeah. itself. If I understand correctly, pneumonia can be bacterial or viral, right? It's in, it's mm-hmm. inflammation of the I just Googled it. Air sacs in one or both lungs. But the thing that we most often call pneumonia is, like, bacterial pneumonia caused by, like, the most common, like, bacterium. Most common, like, pneumonia-causing bacterium. But, ugh, that is is rough. Yeah, it was was not great. Yeah. Poor kid. But she's out of the hospital now? She is back home and 
just full of attitude as ever. Is she one of the kids who thinks the hospital was awesome? No. Okay. No. Uh, way too many doctors and nurses telling her to do things she didn't mm-hmm. want to do. Yep. I get that. So she was not Neither of my it. kids has had an extended hospital stay yet. Knock wood. But there, there are kids who, like, come home to the hospital and are like, and they gave me popsicles. <laughs> and, and they talked to me about Barbies or, like, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are kids who, who see through the act. Yeah, no, she she can't believe that she had to take medicine when she had to take medicine and that she had to walk all the way from one room to another when so, she was tired. Oh, uh, yeah. I yeah. Like, I get it. Like, yeah, you're having a hard time breathing, but also like you can walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're OK. So anyway, yeah. it's all better now. Yay. And well, uh, I'll be thinking of you all as she continues to to recover. Thanks. But we had Jeopardy this week. As we yeah, said, we, sure we had the did. second chance tournament. And that featured on the first day, Jessica Stevens, a statistical research specialist from Nashville, Tennessee. Aaron Gullius, a community college history instructor from Grand Blanc, Michigan. And Cindy Zhang, a user experience designer from New York, New York who apparently had just received the Jeopardy Honors Award for Best Signature. So, already highly rewarded, Cindy Mm Jean. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, Literary First Lines, An Impressive Vocabulary, World Facts, Common Bonds, Lyrically Yours, and Skin Care from A to Z with Michael (laughs) Strahan. Which is a combination of words I never would have put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a that was an unexpected category. Mm-hmm. But apparently, he is he has a skincare line that is just started. So good yeah. for him. The common bonds, you know, tri bond category was cool. Mm-hmm. They did pretty well with it. They missed Grape Jelly, Your Wings, and Wildfire, which are things that spread. And then uh, the $1,000 level was Chair, Tied, Spirits. And Aaron said, what are risings? Things that rise. I feel like that should have been accepted. You know, like, idiomatically, you don't necessarily refer to a chair as rising. But there are chairs that rise. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in one now. Mm, and tides yeah. rise and spirits can rise. I think that should have been accepted, but yeah. they didn't. And uh, Jessica got the rebound with things that can be high. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 420 <laughs> plays it. Getting very Colorado in here. Oh, yeah. Also, in the world facts category at the $800 level, it's the oldest existing freshwater lake as well as the deepest. That's Lake Baikal. If you don't remember Lake Baikal, try to remember Lake Baikal. Yep. That's one of those trivia things. Yep. Yep. yep, Yeah. The frequency with which it appears in trivia is disproportionate, I think. (laughs) To its actual importance. We had a tough triple stumper at the $400 level of an impressive vocabulary. A handheld optical instrument lends its name to this adjective referring to a mix of shifting colors. Aaron tried what is a kaleidoscope. He was thinking of the right implement, but the clue specifically calls for an adjective, and that's a noun. And then Cindy tried what is kaleidoscopal. Which she figured out what had gone wrong. But, but she just didn't get to the right one. Yeah, it's kaleidoscopic. 
So, whoopsie daisy. So that was a triple stumper. Daily Double number one is in World Facts at the $1,000 level, and Cindy finds it at the eighth pick. She's in a little bit of a lead at this point. She makes it a true Daily Double with 2800 and gets the clue much of this tiny country that's surrounded by another is located on Mount Titano. Mm-hmm. And she tries what is Lesotho, which is a tiny country surrounded by another. Uh, but San Marino was the correct response here. Yeah. And I wonder, for terminology's sake, if Lesotho, they would say small country rather than tiny. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know how you would differentiate that in terms of the way you describe it. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Jessica's taking the lead with 5,400. Aaron's at 3,000, Cindy's at 2,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Actors get their roles mixed up. If at first, with if in quotation marks, anagrams, here's your science prize, trying to get some works done, and but I have this historic meeting. <laughs> I just like the title of that category. Yeah. The clues were fine. I feel like the Hanseatic League has come up really recently. Maybe it was in Learned League or maybe it was on Jeopardy again. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I've answered that one very, very recently. Mm-hmm. At the $1,600 level. Dormant since its last meeting in 1669, this trading league started meeting again in 1980 in Svola, the Netherlands. Yeah, I also felt like I'd seen something about the Hanseatic League recently. And the name that I can never keep in my head is at the $1,600 level of Here's Your Science Prize. The 2016 Turing Award, the Nobel Prize of Computing, went to this hyphenated Brit for inventing the World Wide Web. As soon as ever anyone says it, you know, Berners-Lee, I'm like, yeah, of course that's the name. That's the name. Of course that's the name. Mm-hmm. But I, I can never bring it to mind. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I was not even close on that one. I remember he was featured in the um, opening ceremonies of the 2012 London Olympics. Mm-hmm. We get daily double number two pretty early in the round. It's pick number three in the if at first category uh, at the $1,600 level. Jessica finds it. She's gotten herself out to a lead and she wagers 2500 And the clue is the Department of Homeland Security designates September 25th as Awareness Day for this six-word reminder to report suspicious activity. And she gets it correct with what is, if you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in trying to get some works done at the $1,200 level. And Aaron finds it at the 17th pick. He wagers... 3,000 of his 4,200, which if he gets it right, will bring him to a little more than half of what Jessica has. He gets the clue from Rubens in his workshop, the lion hunt, the tiger hunt, and this Roman goddess and her nymphs on the hunt. He tries who is Artemis, but they, yeah, so close. They're looking for her Roman equivalent, Diana. So that drops him down some. Yep. It's always tough with the Greek and Roman. Mm -hmm. They're the same thing. Same stories, just different names. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at the end of Double Jeopardy, Cindy is at 6,800, Aaron is at 2,800, and Jessica is in a locked position at 17,100, which has got to feel good in a tournament. Mm -hmm. We get the Final Jeopardy category, Famous Animals, and the clue. In September 1964, the New York Times announced the passing of this pet, a gift quote, used as a symbol of honesty in 1952. 
Aaron got it correct with Who is Checkers? Uh, Richard Nixon's dog. That was supposed to be like, <laughs> Nixon's a trustworthy guy. <laughs> He's got, look at his cute dog. Because <laughs> apparently that works. Aaron wagered everything. Cindy wagered nothing and wrote, thanks for having me. Which is nice. Yeah. And uh, Jessica also got it correct with who is checkers. Added 3,000, which doesn't really matter. Because um, it's just moving her on to the next round. Mm-hmm. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Molly Carroll, a CPA from Austin, Texas, Tracy Pitzel, an accountant from Ellensburg, Washington, and Erica Wiener-Amachi, an elementary teacher from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And our Jeopardy categories are five-letter places, celebrities, Americana, blank and blank, astronomy, and left, right, or center. Those three terms are in quotation marks. So all of the correct responses contain one of them. Yeah, which was kind of misleading, I think, on the $200 clue. Current name of the branch of the U.S. Public Health Service charged with investigating and mitigating contagions. Erica guessed what is the Center for Disease Control, but Mm -hmm. Tracy got it correct with what is the Centers for Disease Control, which technically does have center in it. But before an S. Right before an (laughs) S, right? Yeah, like it's not the word. So feels a little bit tricky. But mm-hmm. it's not wrong. You got to know it. So, what glasses had Erica worn on her first appearance? Uh, I don't remember. They were probably rainbowy or something. Yeah, the ones that she wore for this appearance on Jeopardy were rainbowy, and she said that she got them because someone on Twitter was complaining about her glasses on her first appearance being too woke yeah which i'm like what how what <laughs> how do you, how um, do you have woke glasses uh-huh. oh okay yeah no they were they were rainbowy okay yeah yeah i oh you know, they're great yeah the, no the first ones were rainbowy so I, I i liked her little interview segment about wearing newer woker glasses yeah <laughs> for, um yeah so daily double number one is in the americana category at the $800 level. Pick number eight. And Erica finds it. She is at, I believe, a thousand at this point, uh, and she wagers only 800 which is like, okay, I guess. I'm going to just wager all of it. And gets the clue. This 1943 song helped give an iconic female factory worker her name. And she very slowly says, what is Rosie? The Riveter, (laughs) which is correct. Yeah, the long pause to see if Ken would rule it correct or if he was waiting for her to be more specific was so great. It was very good. Yeah. But that, I mean, it counts. So uh, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Erica is at 2,800, Tracy's at 5,400, and Molly is at 4,600. And the double Jeopardy categories are National Geographic Treasures of Egypt, Broadway, Presidential Speeches, French Literature, Measuring Up, and Phrases of Hello and Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Presidential Speeches was they gave you part of the speech and you had to give the uh, the president who said it. Notably, the $1,200 level, ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice, which we ask of you. Molly got it correct with who is Kennedy. And Mm -hmm. they seem to know which one. 
which is bizarre. <laughs> the one who was but president. They, <laughs> right. But they missed, uh, there was a, the triple something above that was, I thought, actually kind of, again, you know, sometimes you forget things. Sometimes you're not sure. Sometimes you just don't know things. That's fine. But the quote is, that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That was Abe Lincoln. That's the Gettysburg Address. I'm. It, mm-hmm. it surprised me that that was not gotten. Yeah. I feel like the Gettysburg Address is one of the more known speeches, you know? Yeah. I am a fan of the second inaugural myself, but the Gettysburg Address is the more popular. <laughs> Just like the <laughs> deep cuts. Yeah. Uh, you can't really yeah. call Lincoln's second inaugural a deep cut. And you... I, uh, there is no coming back from this <laughs> tangent I'm taking us on. <laughs> By all means, continue to explain, please. Yeah, I, I was surprised, although also I think it occurred to me that if I were thinking about a line from one of Lincoln's speeches, like there are so many very, very well-known ones. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, sure. If I were making a top 10 list, I don't know. Would that would that specific line be on it? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. We had a fun moment at the $800 level of measuring up. Uh, the clue is for beer, 31 gallons go into one of these for crude oil, 42 and Tracy guessed, what is a keg? Mm. But Erica got it with what's a barrel. And Ken said, I know what Tracy's thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 about beer. Mm-hmm. Like the question said. <laughs> yeah. And it's stressful on stage. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. I seem to remember that. I mean, we know Ken is Mormon, right? I seem to remember he uh, observes the no alcohol practice. I do believe that is true. And I seem to remember coming across some interview where he talked about like studying cocktails like out of a book um in order to be able to answer those questions on jeopardy i remember that as well he was like yeah i I got a bartending book and i made flashcards so i could learn what cocktails are (laughs) i was like yep (laughs) Yep. i get that Mm -hmm. daily double number two is in that presidential speeches category we were just talking about a minute ago and it's uh it's the ninth pick at the 1600 dollar level Molly finds it. She wagers 3,000. She's trailing in third at this point. Um, so looking to kind of get back into the mix. And she gets the clue. We have now lived almost 50 years under the Constitution framed by the sages and patriots of the revolution. She hesitates for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then right before she runs out of time, guesses Jackson, which is correct. Yeah. Really just got to do the math, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Mm-hmm. And Daily Dumb number three is in the French literature category at the $1,200 level. And Molly finds this one as well. She has kind of dropped down farther into third place at this point, And she wagers another 3000 Gets a clue. A line from this play says, he carries a nose. Ah, good, my lords. What a nose is his. And she gets it correct. Uh, she pronounces it in a way that tells me that she has read it and not heard it. Because she said mm-hmm. Cyrano de Bergerac. Yep. And I was like, hey, good for you. Yep. Ken is so tactile as he gives the correct pronunciation. Yep. He just says it and moves on. Yep. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Erica is in the lead with 12,800. Molly's in second place with 11,400. Tracy's at 6,600. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Landmarks of Science. And they get the clue, clones of an original one of these grow outside the math faculty at Cambridge University and in the President's Garden at MIT. And... This was a triple stumper. I which that doesn't surprise me. I was like, what is this supposed oh, to be? Oh no, I I like clearly smart 
people can just not happen to head in the right direction with this. I saw Cambridge University and math and that we were looking for a plant and my brain went in the right direction and it felt very obvious to me. Wow. But that was luck because uh, Tracy had this great guess. What is a pea plant? Yeah. That was a great guess. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, that, yeah, that's got to be it. Right? Like, I saw the guess, and I was like, well, I got this one wrong, because here's Tracy with this obviously correct answer. Right. (laughs) But it was not. It was not. She wagered 6,600. That's everything. She drops to zero. Molly tried what are roses. You know, that seems like a fine guess if you can't figure out what they're trying to get at. She wagered 1801, uh, dropping her down to... 95, 99, 1801, she was trying to cover an all-in from Tracy. Mm -hmm. Tracy would have gotten up to 13,200 if she'd gone all-in and gotten it right. She did, in fact, go all-in. So if Molly had gotten it right, she would have landed at 13,201. She doesn't, so lands at 95, 99. And Erica tried what is an oak tree, another perfectly reasonable guess if you can't figure out where they're heading with this. She wagered 11,000. That's a, the cover bet and, and a bit trying to cover it all in from Molly. But that's incorrect. She drops down to 1800, which means that Molly is our finalist. And what we were looking for here was an apple tree. Uh, so like from Isaac. From the garden of, of Isaac Newton. Yes. Cambridge math Isaac Newton connection there just sort of popped out at me. But I'm realizing that because of MIT, my brain was like Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. I no. didn't, it didn't even put me in, in the UK mm-hmm. at all. That absolutely makes sense because MIT is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Which, of course, I know when I think about it that University of Cambridge is, of course, in England. Yeah. But, yeah, mm-hmm. just did not get there. Yeah. And clearly it was a tricky one because we had three great players stumped by it. Yep. But good wagering. Yeah. Smart wagering all around, and with a tough final Jeopardy, it will favor somebody who's in a close second place, which Molly was. Yep. That advances her to the finals. Yep. So on Wednesday, we have the contestants Pam Schoenberg, a dentist and entrepreneur from South Salem, New York. Renee Russell, a branch office administrator from Baltimore, Maryland, and James Frazier, a naval aviator from Newport Beach, California. Enter the Jeopardy round categories, a place in history, TV, writer's middle names, holidays and observances, home computing, and devouring eating idioms. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the way that Pam said Percy Shelley's middle name? She said Bish, which I've yeah. never been totally sure how I was supposed to pronounce that. I've only ever heard it as Beasts or Bish. Hmm. Yeah. And the way she said it, it just sounded real sassy, like, bish. <laughs> yeah. I could picture the word, and I am I hesitated. I'm not sure I've heard it said out loud. In their position, I don't know if I would have rung in and attempted, but however it's supposed to be pronounced, if you're not sure, I'm pretty sure you're going to get credit for bish, right? Because there's a oh, B yeah. and a Y and an SH. Mm-hmm. And an extra S in there for some reason. Yes. I tried to Google how to pronounce it, and now I am more confused than I was when I started, <laughs> which is really saying something. 
The Daily Double was the very first pick of the round. It was. So we should talk about that now, I guess. It was in the holidays and observances categories at the $1,000 level. And James was the one to find it. Everyone was at $0. He wagered 1000 uh, His clue was, Alaska celebrates the last Monday in March as this one-time U.S. Secretary of State's Day. And he gets it correct with Seward. William Seward. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's impressive to, like, call the Daily Double as your very first clue of the game right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, he went for a $1,000 level, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it worked out for him. Yeah. Anyway, the Jeopardy round plays out from there. And at the end of the round, James has taken the lead with 8,800. Pam's at 4,600. Renee's at 1,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. What a beaut. The parent company. Science and nature. Adjectives. Faith, hope, and charity. And second chance songs. Mm-hmm. I like the butte category. Mm. I like a good butte. We got some nice buttes out here. Yeah. We had a Colorado clue. We did. Yeah. The $800 level Crested Butte is the state's last great ski town, in quotes, as well as its wildflower capital. Renee, guess what is Utah? That's Colorado. Mm-hmm. I've been through Crested Butte. I've never skied Crested Butte, because the farther up the mountains you go, the more expensive the ski resorts become. Mm. We, we were We were usually... The first resorts you get to was where we tended to ski. Mm. Your winter parks, your copper mountains, those kinds of places. Mm -hmm. The phrase last great ski town sort of misled me. And I was like, well, it's not Colorado because there are lots. There are tons of ski towns. There are lots. (laughs) I can name at least three right off the top of my head. Yeah, so I, I wasn't sure what it was, but I was sure it was not Colorado, because I was like, well, if there's only one great ski town left, it's not that one. <laughs> right. I wonder if that's what happened to Renee, who guessed Utah. Yeah. yeah. It actually made me second guess, because I was like, I'm pretty sure Crested Butte's in... Is it, is it in Wyoming? Is it over the border? Is it farther north than I thought? But no. It's just, like, straight down I-70. Yeah. Nobody knew who wrote Fear and Trembling. Yeah, but... But why would anybody know that? Okay, fine. It was Kierkegaard. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is an area that I have had on my list of things I should learn and look into and read. You know, the mm-hmm. 19th century philosopher kind of like that yeah. whole genre. And I just haven't. So you could talk about Kierkegaard or Kant or Nietzsche or Heidegger or whoever. Like, I don't, they're all interchangeable to me. <laughs> at yeah. this point because i don't know them mm-hmm. um truth be told i have not read any Kierkegaard. Mm. you just know that it was i just know about him yeah i made some flashcards for some of them but i obviously did not remember fear and trembling yeah. for Kierkegaard. we had a tricky rebound at the two thousand dollar level of science and nature many elements are named for places like polonium and this one Atomic number 21, which honors a large peninsula of Northern Europe. Renee made it to the right peninsula and guessed what is Scandinavium. But Pam got the rebound. It's Scandium, much like kaleidoscopal, right noun, wrong. You know. Wrong, like <laughs> verbal variation. <laughs> wrong, of it. turning it into a new word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
So it's like, oh, that's got to be it. Anyway, we get Daily Double number two in the Butte category at Mm. the $1,600 level pick number three. James finds it and makes a weird bet of $3,699. Yeah. He likes doing the 99s. So anyway, uh, gets the clue. Grizzly Bear Lodge is another name for this Butte that rises 1,267 feet above Wyoming. And he gets correct with what is Devil's Tower. Mm Mm-hmm. And Renee finds Daily Double number three at the $2,000 level of adjectives. She's trailing at this point and tries to improve her position with a $5,000 wager. She gets the clue a synonym for absurd. It's from the Latin for with the rear part first. And she can't work it out. I couldn't either. Preposterous. That's definitely from the Latin as opposed to what I had thought, which is ass backwards. (laughs) (laughs) That is also what occurred to me. I'm like, yep. I don't think that's right. the Latin. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that drops Renee down, which basically allows the other two to to continue on. But Pam makes a really good move in the second half of this round. So going into final, James is at 2,899. 20,899. Renee is in the red at negative 800. And Pam is at 15,400. So it's a game. Mm-hmm. And we get the Final Jeopardy category, American History, and the clue, Ben Franklin, John Adams, and John Jay succeeded as a trio in this city, though Adams wrote of fearing the other two would gang up on him. Pam guessed what is Philadelphia, which is a, a fine guess, especially since they didn't give a year to narrow it down. But that was mm-hmm. incorrect. Uh, but James got it correct. They were looking for Paris mm-hmm. for the, the Treaty of Paris at the end of the war. Yeah. And... He wagered 10902 so he is also a finalist. Mm-hmm. So on Thursday, we start a two-day total point affair. Two-day total point affair. We love a two-day total point affair. Everyone loves a two-day total point affair. Yeah. I never took the time to really get my head around the math of the wagering on the second day mm-hmm. for two-day total point affairs, because like, it's not a skill I needed. Right. But yeah, oh man, love a two-day total point affair. We have the contestants Molly Carroll, Jessica Stevens, and James Fraser. And our Jeopardy round categories are Southern Cities, Phobias. They give you the name of the phobia. Uh, The contestants will need to respond with what that is a phobia of. Of what that is a phobia. A matter of life and death. Four-letter food and drink. Strong words and medical drama. Mm Mm-hmm. Which in this round, the medical drama category was all about TV shows, mm-hmm. about hospitals and stuff. But Jessica ran the phobias category from the inside out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, starting with the $600 level, that was the first one that they called. And that was teutophobia, T-E-U-T-O, phobia. Mm-hmm. And she rang it and then looked like she really was hesitant to say out loud what she thought it was a fear of. German people. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was. <laughs> yep. Because that's a weird one to say. It's like, a weird one to guess. I think I would have just said German. Because like my thought was like Germanic things or German seeming things. I don't yeah. know that I would have concluded German people. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then she went down to dendrophobia. And got that with trees. And then gymnophobia may be manifested in the locker room, which is 
she got it correct with uh, what is nudity. That's where we get gymnasium and gymnastics because the Greeks would do it in the nude. Mm-hmm. And then she went up to pathophobia, which is a fear of disease, and apophobia, which is a fear of bees. Gymnophobia. My mind went immediately to Arrested Development. Did you watch that show? Way yes. Back? Oh, yeah. yeah, the Never Nudes. And yes, the Never Nudes. <laughs> and Tobias, like, showering in his cut-off jeans. <laughs> right. <laughs> in his jean shorts. Yeah. Didn't the Taj Mahal just come up last week on a clue, too? Yeah. Yeah, it did. I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. The clue here was matter of wife and death. Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan built this monument in memory of his favorite wife, who died in 1631. That's the Taj Mahal. I'm pretty sure it was on a show last week. Mm-hmm. Which leads me to to conclude that these tournament clues must have been written separately from the general pool, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would assume so. I feel like we had a good amount of deep dive connections over the course of this week. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering right that you did a, like, Wives of Henry VIII deep yes. dive? Or was it a... Yeah, good. Sometimes I remember, like, the quiz topics as if they were deep dives also, mm-hmm. but yeah. No, I definitely talked about the six wives. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Which came up at the $1,000 level of a matter of wife and death. Yep. So. Daily double number one is pick number three. It's in the Southern Cities category at the $600 level. Jessica finds it and she wagers 1000 and gets the clue, this largest Kentucky city was named for a king of France. And she immediately gets it correct with what is Louisville. Apparently she lived there for a bit and really enjoys it. Hmm. As a city. Yeah. She mentioned on Twitter. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, James is at 7,000, Jessica is at 7,600, and Molly is at 2,800. We have the double Jeopardy categories, historical wear, poets and poetry, it has a name, crossword clues M, there's a sequel, and medical drama. This time, it's just like stories about medical history. Yeah. Exciting medical history, I guess. Uh, and we got a reminder of a tough moment in uh, last year's Tournament of Champions at the $800 level there. After racing a rival to a cure, Dr. Albert Sabin got an oral vaccine for this, approved in the U.S. in 1961. That's polio. Mm-hmm. Remember, there are, there are two S names with the polio vaccine, Salk and Sabin. Yep. I went down totally the wrong road in a clue that turned out to be a triple stumper at the $1,600 level of There's a Sequel. This 2011 part two was the eighth film in a series. James tried, what is The Hunger Games Mockingjay? Mm -hmm. And Molly tried, what is Breaking Dawn? Mm -hmm. And Ken said, oh, no, there's another YA franchise. They'd both headed for YA franchises. Meanwhile, I was like, well, the Star Wars movies came out out of sequence, so let's try that. <laughs> no, none of that. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is the yes. part two, but eighth film in a series. Yeah. 2011 was around... Entirely the- wrong for Star well, Wars, too. Well, it was around the time... Well, for the eighth yeah. movie, yes. It was around the time that episode three came out. Mm-hmm. If I recall. Anyway, we also got... Ken and James honoring Alex Trebek with their Robbie Burns impressions in yeah. the Poets and Poetry at the $1,600 level. Mm-hmm. The clue was, he wrote, Oh, my love's like a red, red rose. That's newly sprung in June. I'm not going to give you my accent. But both of them rolled their R's as appropriate. So Yeah. It's good to see them have fun with it. Yeah. 
Daily Double number two is in historical wear at the $1,600 level, and James finds it at the fifth pick. He is just a tad behind Jessica and wagers 4699 Okay. And gets the clue. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> in 1921, he ditched Western suits for a shawl and a loincloth called a dhoti. And James gets it correct. It's Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. That's right. Yeah. And David Up number three is in the Poets and Poetry category. James also finds this one. It's at the $2,000 level, and he wagers $25.69 and gets the clue, It Begins, of Man's First Disobedience and the Fruit of That Forbidden Tree Whose Mortal Taste Brought Death into the World. He guesses what is Genesis, which, you know, Genesis is a poem, really, or at least parts of it. Parts of it are. But that's Paradise Lost. Mm Mm-hmm. If you consider the ramifications of that fruit, then right, yep, paradise is lost. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, James is at nineteen thousand nine hundred thirty. Oh, because he wagered an amount that ended in nine, and then another amount that ended in nine. And got and one so, in this so, one. Yeah. yeah, so that they they canceled out. Jessica's at fifteen thousand six hundred. Molly's at ten thousand four hundred. The final Jeopardy category is international borders, and the clue is two of the three countries that share land borders with Russia and China. All of them get it correct. Between the three of them, they get all three countries. I was thinking for a second that each of them had gotten a different combination of two, but no, there's a duplicate here. Molly responded, what are Mongolia and North Korea? That is correct. North Korea apparently has a tiny 11-mile border with Russia. Molly's wagered 5,200. That brings her up to 15,600. Jessica has, what are Mongolia and Kazakhstan? Uh, Also correct. And Jessica's wagered 13,000, putting her at 28,600. And James has, what are Mongolia and North Korea? With a wager of 10,999, putting him at 30,929. So those scores will be added to their Friday scores for this two-day total point affair. Yes. So on Friday, we get game two of the finals with the same contestants whose totals we just talked about. So I'm not going to go through that again. But we have the Jeopardy round categories. American history. Team names via other names. In the Bible book. From C to D. Shave and a haircut. And two bits. Mm Mm-hmm. The team names via other names I enjoyed. I enjoyed yes. That um, was a sports category in which I excelled because you didn't need to know anything about sports. Right. I mean, except to like know a handful of names of teams. Right. Like you'd But be- like not what sport they played or where. <laughs> exactly. You'd be taking a guess if you weren't sure, like, you know, the $600 clue in the NBA, the magical Harry Dresden, Merlin, Gandalf. Like, we know those are wizards. If you're like, if you don't know if there's a team called the Wizards, you'd be taking a guess. Yeah. But there is a team called the Wizards. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about the Dresden Files before on the yes. podcast. Yes, you yes. have. They're enjoyable. Yeah, they are on my reading list although you know i mean the reading list it's long is never ending yeah if you're looking for a quick brain candy kind of stuff yeah like not to say that it's not good writing like it's it's an enjoyable story and well written and all that Mm -hmm. but they are quick reads yeah 
there was a, a funny moment in the American history category at the $600 level. Naturally, IBM helped create the technology of this type of missile one letter longer, first deployed by the U.S. in 1959. James got in and he had a hard time getting around to ICBM, uh, but he, I think he commented it's a good thing he got that one, being a military man as he is. Yes. A naval aviator. Mm-hmm. There was a time in my life that I strongly considered becoming a naval aviator. Hmm. And then I decided to become a music teacher. <laughs> as as people often do, you know, when they turn from military You're service. You're a multifaceted individual, Kyle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it was mostly because uh, my dad always told me that if I was ever going to join a branch of the service, it would need to be the Navy. And if I was going to go into the Navy, then I would really need to be an officer. I was like, well, I don't really want to be on boats, though. (laughs) The $800 level of shave and a haircut reminded me of our recording dates. Uh, The name of a Flemish painter graces this beard that can include clean shaven cheeks. James tried what is a Rembrandt. That wasn't correct. It was a Van Dyke, which Alex had for one of the days. Yes. Uh, One of the games. One of the games. Approximately an hour. Yes. It was this whole thing. Alex Trebeard That's right. was like the hashtag where people were waiting to see whether he would have a beard when Jeopardy came back. And so he started with a beard and then literally shaved in the dressing room between games. People think that it's like one game each day, but they're recording five a day. Yep. And so he was just going into the back, changing his suit, shaving off part of his beard to have a different beard for the next night's game, but it was really mm-hmm. actually 15 minutes later. Right. Um, yeah. It felt weird to me because he was talking about it and he would say things like, you know, let us know on social media if you think I should keep it or not. And it's like, you don't, that's not going to, that's not going to have any effect. <laughs> that did feel a little deceptive to me. And then there were yeah. all these, you know, sweet old ladies on Facebook being like, keep your beard. You look so distinguished. I'm like, ma'am, he shaved it off six weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, that is long gone. <laughs> yeah. I can promise you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that had not crossed my mind. I learned that Van Dyke was a style of beard when Alex Trebek said it while I was sitting there waiting to play. So yeah, that one really stuck with me. There you go. Uh, The players stayed neck and neck, at least through the first half or so of the Jeopardy round. And James found Daily Double number one at pick number eight. It's at the $800 level of American history. He made it a true Daily Double with $1,200 and got the clue. In 1840, a U.S. judge ruled the unwilling passengers on this ship were kidnap victims, not merchandise. And he got it correct. That is the Amistad. Yay. Jessica got into a little bit of a lead as we got through the Jeopardy round. And then at the end of the Jeopardy round, James has closed the gap a little bit. Jessica's at 4,600. James at 3,600. Molly at 2,600. Oh, that's very pleasing. They're Mm, $1,000 apart. And our double Jeopardy categories are, so you blew it the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Movie and TV directors. It's all about her. Marsupials. Why are my pants wet? And before and after. (laughs) Uh, I like that one. Why are my pants wet? (laughs) Jessica really went with it. And the first time she asked for that category, told Ken, I'd love to know, why are my pants wet? (laughs) (laughs) Molly started in the before and after category, and James wanted to get out of there as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. 
Who doesn't love a before and after, though? I don't know. They can be intimidating on stage. Yeah, I guess. James did fine on it, though. He he got the $1,200 clue. That was the first pick, and you know that let him take us away from that category. And he also got the $2,000. Mm-hmm. He did. Police booking photo that becomes a historic moment, as in Ralph Waldo Emerson's line, that is a mugshot heard around the world. It's a good one. Yeah. Jessica clearly has listened to my Rasputin deep dive. Yeah. There's no other way to know about his no. life at all. Yeah. He no was at the $1,600 level of So You Blew It the first time, where they talked about the um, rumored multiple attempts to kill Rasputin mm-hmm. before he... Before they were finally succe- successful, yeah. And there was a triple stumper at the $1,200 level of marsupials. Ranging into southern Canada, the Virginia this is the only marsupial found north of Mexico. No one even guessed the possum. The that, possum! That surprised me. I mean, Molly is from Texas and Jessica is from Tennessee. I mean, they have possums, don't they? I think so. I guess they just maybe didn't know they were marsupials yeah we've talked on the podcast how possums are so cute oh my gosh and how we both definitely agree about that (laughs) 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 they're adorable (laughs) they eat ticks i like that they are adorable and useful and it was not terrifying at all when my dog cornered one in the yard that was fine yeah At least it didn't corner your dog, you know? Yeah, I guess there's that. Raccoons are adorable, but raccoons didn't come. No, but raccoons are, but raccoons, you're, what? But possums are useful. Raccoons are just. Adorable. They're so cute. They're, they're evil. They keep getting into my groceries. (laughs) Like whenever we get a grocery delivery in the night, uh, if I'm not like right there, the raccoons get into it. Yeah, but okay, whatever. All right. Yeah. We've used enough of the. Enough of the podcast time for this. Daily Double number two is in the So You Blew It the First Time category at the $1,200 level. It's only pick number four in the round, and James finds it. He, he has just taken the lead from Jessica, and he makes it a true Daily Double for 6800 I love the move. Mm-hmm. We're getting toward the end of the second game. He has the lead from the first game, but not by much. So he's looking to close it out. Gets the clue, last name of Milton, who moved to Philadelphia in 1876 to start a candy company. That one ended in bankruptcy, but another did not. And uh, he guesses what is C, which, uh, alas, did not, you know, he didn't go for like the Pennsylvania yeah. obvious answer of Hershey. Mm-hmm. My guess is he's overthinking it yeah. here. C's candies are based in California somewhere. Right? I don't know. He's from yeah. California. Oh, he is from California. That's right. Okay. Maybe that's it? I don't know. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah. I had never heard of C's Candies until I was, I don't know, in college, maybe. Okay. Yeah. But they're a thing for the Californians. Yeah, headquartered in South San Francisco, California. So he has to start building again. And then at the 15th pick, Jessica finds Daily Double number three. It's at the $1,600 level of It's All About Her. She wagers 3,500. She's at 8,600 with Molly in second place at 4,600. So Jessica's looking toward making this a lot game, although that doesn't really matter in a two-day total point affair. Um, She gets the clue, subtitled, Coming of Age in America. 
this anthropologist. And she guesses Mead, as in Margaret Mead, and that is correct. Yeah. The title is a reference to her anthropological work, Coming of Age in Samoa, although I didn't remember her book title. I, I could have told you she did work in Samoa, but I didn't remember the book title. So I certainly didn't either, but I my brain was like, anthropologist. Female Margaret anthropologist Mead. Margaret Mead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that gives Jessica a wider lead. Mm-hmm which she is able to keep pretty much. She does. She, she and Molly James, after that miss daily double, he just has a hard time getting back into it. Uh, he even drops into the red for a little bit, but he manages mm-hmm. to manages to get himself out. So going into final James is at 2000. Molly's at 10,600 and Jessica's at 15,300, which means she has a lock for the tournament, mm-hmm. but she as I'm sure everyone who is even remotely online has come to to see, uh, she didn't know that. Yep. <laughs> she did not do her math correctly, as she has fully stated. She made a math error and felt that she needed to wager. Mm-hmm. So we get the final Jeopardy category, 19th century literary characters. And the clue, this character from an 1859 novel symbolizes the fates who in mythology spin the web of life, measure it, and cut it off. And man, I thought... I know Tale of Two Cities is like a, a well-known book, but I thought this was kind of a deep cut. Yeah. I mean, I read A Tale of Two Cities last year, and I got as far as, I'm quite sure it's the woman in A Tale of Two Cities who sits by the guillotine knitting. And that is- But what is the name? I am, you know what? Like, I am so proud of myself for even coming up with that. Right. Yeah. That's This is a deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. So- I mean, it's fine for a final, the final of a tournament. I'm cool with it being that difficult. Yeah. I'm cool with that. But it is a deep cut. It was a triple stumper. James put, uh, who is Uriah Heap? That's incorrect. Wagered all 2000. Molly did not offer a guess except three question marks, which could be a literary character, but I'm not aware of that. And wagered all 10,600. And Jessica wrote, who is Penelope? Which is also incorrect. It's Madame Defarge. And she wagered 10,000. Mm. Which... It was a triple stumper, so no matter what Jessica wagered... Oh, that's not true, actually. If Jessica had not had, had wagered at all and zeroed out also, then James would have won because he was like 3,000 ahead of her from the game before. Mm-hmm. But because she managed to keep more than you know the 3,000 and change, she ended up winning this week of the second chance tournament. Mm-hmm. Which I, you know... We talked about Jessica Stevens being like maybe one of the favorites coming in. So makes sense. Yeah. She played really strong. James played really well. Molly played really well. Yeah, they all did. So tournament wagering. The arithmetic is straightforward, but like the pressure is on and it's different from normal Jeopardy wagering and wagering for a two day total point affair, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. to, you have to do the math on what your opponent's could end up at remembering and adding back in their previous totals. Are there previous totals available displayed? to them? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. when you're when you're doing your wagering math, you can like look up and see your opponent's previous totals. Yes, uh, okay. I believe that is correct. If I yeah. recall from the tournament champions, yeah, okay. that's what it was. Yeah, it's tricky. It's extra steps, so it happens. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Somebody really came for Jessica, like, you know, you oh, should you should person. resign, like, you should resign from the tournament for, you know, I demand an explanation for, like, why you chose to 
risk your lock. She doesn't owe you an explanation. She doesn't owe you anything. She doesn't owe anybody anything. She doesn't owe anybody good TV. She doesn't owe anybody good... Yeah, she was Ugh. on fire on Twitter. Yeah, oh, she yeah, she could definitely hold her own. I, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about yeah. her. <laughs> uh, but mm-hmm. so that's the first week of the second chance tournament. I loved it. I don't know. There's just something about seeing the people that you've seen before. Yeah, even though we only saw them once and we didn't see them win any games, like there was still something about it that I was like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, they're back. Hey, I like like there was something yeah. about that that's really cool, at least in my mind. So yeah, agreed. I think it was a great thing, and I am excited for next week. Hmm. I have not gone back through the contestants we'll see next week to have a like a pick, but I think it's going to be great to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, so this is the. Uh, the end of the week, middle of the episode, where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can go there to give us a few bucks a month if you want to support us financially. And uh, you can check out some exclusive content if you like to see the quiz questions written out. Most of the time, we have been putting them up. <laughs> I remember last week. Yay. You did, yes. And it's it's good. So you get to see them up there. They go up when we're done recording. So they're up before the episode goes live. And yeah, we have, for what it's worth, we have talked about doing other exclusive content. <laughs> Who knows when that time or, you know, the energy or that wonderful, amazing unicorn combination of those two things will, mm. will come around. But it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. So you can check that out. And of course... We also like to remind you that uh, there are arguably more important things going on in our world and more important organizations. You can find them all in the show notes. We have recently been highlighting uh, abortionfunds.org. There is also, as of this recording, actually, I guess it's a little late now. If you missed it, there was a a little thing on Twitter for Jeopardy viewers to uh, see if they could donate a dollar to Planned Parenthood for every correct response during the Celebrity Jeopardy episode that aired tonight because Aisha Tyler, uh, that was her chosen charity. So if you wanted to, I don't know, maybe retroactively do that, you could check that out as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Emily. Yes. What are we talking about this week? Um, well, I know you've done a deep dive taking us through the history of jazz, um, but I wonder whether you decided to go into further detail on Duke Ellington. Oh, no, I did not. Okay. I forgot Duke Ellington was a triple stumper. Yeah, he was a triple stumper. What about, I know you're not the biggest fan of the literary deep dives, but <laughs> did, did you head for Madame Defarge? I did not. No, okay. I read Tale of Two Cities in high school and was like, that's enough of that. <laughs> Okay, how about Milton Hershey? Ooh, Milton Hershey was my second choice. I actually looked into Milton Hershey, but no, that is not what I ended up landing on. From the Monday game, World Facts, at the uh, $1,000 level, it was a Miss Daily Double. Much of this tiny country that's surrounded by another is located on Mount Titano. Was that your uh, fourth guess? No, I I forgot that that had been a triple stumper. (laughs) Ah, yes. Um, And that's San Marino. Cindy had guessed what is Lesotho. But that is San Marino. And I figured, you know, San Marino has come up a number of times in trivia fairly recently. You know, even if it comes up like three times in the last year, that's fairly common for trivia when trivia is literally anything you could possibly know. So I felt like San Marino would be a good one to talk about. I believe San Marino was also a correct response on my last regular season game. Hmm. 
it was a daily double. But Rob got it. <sighs> I remember he was very excited. The clue is this European country has about 33,000 people. The country that completely surrounds it has about 60 million. He got it correct. And uh, he was talking about, I was just thinking of San Marino because they recently legalized gay marriage. And he, oh. he runs a, I don't know if it's like a full website or a tracker or something. He, he runs something that keeps track of the countries around the world that have legalized gay marriage. He was pretty up on that. Anyway, that's super inside. I'm talking about San Marino. So I'm going to go through the history of it and then a few other things. Obviously, it's a country. It has a lot going on, so I'm not going to get into everything. But the history of it is kind of interesting, and there are some some names and some things associated with it. So figure, get it in our brain a little bit, because I think we tend to forget about it when we think of small countries. All right, San Marino, uh, which is officially the Republic of San Marino and is also often called the Most Serene Republic of San Marino. It is the second smallest country in the world, the smallest, of course, being Vatican City, and it is enclaved by Italy, meaning it is entirely surrounded by Italy. Uh, it is in the Apennine Mountains, and it is just over 61 square kilometers or 24 square miles, has a population of about 33,000. Population can fluctuate a little bit. Uh, it's landlocked, which is why it's enclaved. If it wasn't landlocked, it wouldn't technically be enclaved. Its nearest airport is in Italy, uh, and the nearest port is also in Rimini in Italy. The country derives its name from St. Marinus. So the story, it's kind of unclear as to why St. Marinus ended up there. It is widely accepted that he left the island of Rab, which is in present-day Croatia, with his lifelong friend Leo, which I looked a little bit into. I couldn't find anything about Leo. I'm wondering if that's like in quotes, like they were roommates, but I don't know. Uh, and he went to the city of Rimini in Italy as a stonemason, but that was still during the Roman Empire. And after the Diocletianic persecution or the Great Persecution, it's considered that he escaped to nearby Monte Titano and he built a small church there. And that was the beginning of the foundation of the state of San Marino. So around that church, a town grew up. And then over time, more and more uh, communities kind of joined in. So the official founding date is the 3rd of September, 301 CE. 301. That's a long time ago. For about a thousand years, it kind of just functioned on its own around the around the, the church and, you know, in that community. Uh, in 1320... The community of Chiesa Nuova joined San Marino. It is now a minor municipality in San Marino. Nearby community joined up with them. In 1463, the communities of Fiatano, Fiorentino, Monte Giardino, and Saravale all incorporated themselves into San Marino. And that was pretty much the end of the expansion of the country's borders. In 1503... Cesare Borgia, hmm. the son of Pope Alexander VI, occupied the Republic for six months. And then Alexander's successor, Pope Julius II, uh, intervened afterward and restored the country's independence. In 1543, the nephew of Pope Julius III attempted to conquer the Republic, but uh, his infantry and cavalry failed as they got lost in a dense fog. And this was on June 4th which is the feast day of St. Quirinus. Qu 
Saint Quirinus, I think is how you pronounce it. And so the people of San Marino attributed it to intervention from the saint. And so he became a, a, a not necessarily a patron, but a, a, an important figure in San Marino. In 1625, San Marino became an enclave within the Papal States after the Duchy of Urbino was annexed, and they sought the formal protection of the Papal States in 1631, which they received. So they had protection, but they weren't technically under the control of the Papal States. In 1739, it was occupied again by the Papal Governor of Ravenna, but independence was restored by Pope Clement XII in 1740 on the feast day of St. Agatha after which she became a patron saint of the Republic. So they have a few patron saints. This I found really interesting. During the Napoleonic Wars, the early, earlier years of the Napoleonic Wars, like Napoleon's first uh, reign, Napoleon's army in 1797 approached San Marino, but one of its regents, Antonio Onofri, met with Napoleon and gained his respect and friendship. And because of that, Napoleon promised to guarantee and protect the independence of the Republic and even offered to extend its territory according to its needs. However, the regents of of the Republic declined that offer because they feared retaliation from the other countries that Napoleon was taking over. They had the foresight to say, if Napoleon ends up losing, we probably shouldn't side with him. Mm, Very savvy. Yes. Uh, Later on, during the Italian unification process uh, in the 19th century, San Marino served as a refuge for many of the people persecuted for their uh, unification uh, support, including Giuseppe Garibaldi and his wife Anita. And after that, Garibaldi, you know, once Italy was unified, Garibaldi allowed San Marino to remain independent, and they signed a convention of friendship in 1862. The government of San Marino made Abraham Lincoln an honorary citizen. Hmm. And he wrote in reply saying that the the Republic proved that government founded on Republican principles is capable of being so administered as to be secure and enduring, which for San Marino is pretty true. San Marino tried to remain neutral during World War I when Italy declared war on uh, Austria-Hungary. Italy didn't like that and felt that the Samaranese, which is the term for people from San Marino. I didn't mention that before. Samaranese, Hmm. which to me is a pretty cool name. Italy viewed their neutrality as suspicious, thinking that they could harbor Austrian spies. And uh, San Marino had a new radio telegraph station. So an Italian detachment went into the Republic and cut their telephone lines, which was unfortunate. Then... San Marino contributed some forces to the Italian front, and Austria-Hungary didn't like that, so they suspended diplomatic relations with San Marino. Ended up being on the winning side, so it worked out. However, after the war, high rates of unemployment and inflation led to tension between the lower and middle classes, and because of that, the Samaranese fascist party was able to be founded and take control of the country. The rule of the PFS lasted from 1923 to 1943 and often worked alongside Mussolini's fascist party in Italy. During World War II, San Marino remained neutral. There was an erroneous New York Times article that claimed it had declared war on the United Kingdom in 1940, but the Samaritanese government made sure that the UK knew that no, in fact, we did not. We did not declare war on you. (laughs) 
on July 28th, 1943, three days after the fall of the fascist regime in Italy, the Samaranese fascist party also collapsed and the new government redeclared neutrality. The fascist party actually managed to regain power in 44, but they kept neutrality intact. But despite that, San Marino was bombed by the Royal Air Force because they believed that San Marino had been overrun by German forces. I'm not sure where that information came from, but they were. And they accepted thousands of civilian refugees when Allied forces went over the Gothic line, uh, which was a German defensive line uh, in the Italian campaign in World War II. It was briefly occupied by German forces in September 1944, but they were defeated by the Allies in the Battle of San Marino, which was in September uh, 17th to 20th. 1944. Lots of really interesting trivia here. San Marino had the world's first democratically elected communist government, a coalition between the Samaritanese Communist Party and the Samaritanese Socialist Party, which held office between 1945 and 1957. And it broke the theme uh, among other Marxist-Lenist states of state atheism, because it was the first and only communist theocracy. San Marino is extremely Roman Catholic, Mm. if you didn't if you, you know, didn't already know that. It is the world's smallest republic, although when Nauru gained independence in 1968, it challenged that claim. Nauru's landmass is smaller. It's only 8.1 square miles, but its jurisdiction over surrounding waters covers 166,000 square miles. <laughs> so it doesn't quite count. <laughs> San Marino became a member of the Council of Europe in 1988 and the United Nations in 1992. It is not a member of the European Union, but it does use the euro huh. as its currency. And before that, it was the Samaritanese lira. As of June 2022, some really fun trivia, San Marino had the highest death rate per capita of any country due to COVID-19. Uh, mm. Yeah, fun. It also became the smallest country to earn an Olympic medal in the 2020 Summer Olympics when Alessandra Pirelli won a bronze medal in women's trap shooting. And later, Gianmarco Berti uh, and Pirelli won a silver in mixed trap shooting. And very recently, San Marino was on a list of countries that Russia considered unfriendly. You know, in, in March, Russia put out a list of unfriendly countries after they invaded Ukraine. Why San Marino was listed there? Who knows? But it was. So apparently they are unfriendly to Russia. And in August 2022, uh, just two months ago, they voted to legalize abortion in the Republic. Hmm. One of the last European states to have the procedure outlawed under all circumstances up to that point. Yeah. So even the most serene Republic has firmly established legal abortion. Hmm. So there we go. That's just stuff about San Marino. Like I said, it's in the Apennine Mountains. Uh, Monte Titano is the mountain that San Marino is like built on. It's the name to know, Titano, Monte Titano. It's one of only three countries in the world to be completely surrounded by another country, right? Vatican City, of course, and Lesotho are the other two. Mm-hmm. It has the political framework of a parliamentary representative democratic republic. It is the oldest republic continuous republic in the world and also has is it's considered to have the earliest written governing documents still in effect the statues of 1600 are still at the core of its constitutional framework and of course its foundation as a republic in 301 ad is like much earlier than everyone else san marino is run by a legislature and every six months that legislature elects two heads of states they're called captains regent 
um, and they are chose from opposing parties. So there is a balance of power and they only serve a six months term. And this is so cool. Once their term is over, citizens have three days in which to file complaints about the captain's activities. And if they warrant it, judicial proceedings against the ex-heads of state can be initiated. It's like you have three days to file complaints about the president (laughs) after they're out of office (laughs) and we might prosecute them based on it. Like it's, it's interesting to me anyway. San Marino has had more female heads of state than any other country. As of October 2014, they've had 15 female heads of state, including three who served twice. Hmm. And this is an interesting fact that I had to look up. On April 1st, 2022, 58-year-old Paolo Rondelli was elected as one of the two captains regent. He is apparently the world's first openly gay head of state. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. I feel like I've heard of other people that must not be the way it is. So there's a difference between head of government and head of state. And I'm not really entirely sure what it is even after looking it up. Head of government runs the government and head of state is higher than that. In many cases, heads of state and heads of government are the same, but that's not technically true in some places as well. So like I, I looked it up and I was like, I know like Leo Vradikar or whatever his name is from Ireland. He was in earlier than 2022, but he is, I guess, technically a head of government and not technically a head of state, which again, I don't really fully get. But anyway, apparently that's technically true that San Marino has the first openly gay head of state. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, San Marino is divided into nine municipalities known as Castelli. And they're made up of 43 parishes named curacies. Their like biggest economic, what's the word? I don't know. Thing is tourism. Huh. Uh, yeah. Contributes over 22% of San Marino's GDP. San Marino is predominantly Roman Catholic. Like 97.2% of the people there are Roman Catholic and everything else is, you know, Protestant is like 1.1 and everything else is like less than a percent. So yeah. They have a university. They have public holidays that uh, align with Catholic holidays as well as liberation from fascism on July 28th and some other uh, celebrations as well. So So that's San Marino. Nice. That is so much more than I knew about San Marino. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like I keep seeing these things and I'm like, oh, that's really fascinating. Oh, this next thing is also really fascinating. Anyway, there you go. San Marino. Uh, so my question for you is, are you ready for a quiz? Of course I'm ready for a quiz. Okay. Always ready for a quiz. Great. This quiz is just about things that like kind of came up and are related to what I talked about. So here we go. Question one, as mentioned, San Marino had the first openly gay head of state as opposed to head of government. Thankfully, it seems that this aspect of simply being who you are is becoming less of a roadblock to elective office. As evidence, the United States currently has two openly gay state senators. For five points each, which two anti-moral liberal hellscapes elected them? Two openly gay... You said state senators? State governors. State governors. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And it might seem like I was making a joke, but calling them, you know, anti-moral liberal hellscapes is... I have heard those terms used for these two states. All right. Um, I can't remember who is governor of anywhere right now. 
So let's just think of some anti-moral liberal hellscapes. I live in one. Yeah, but Cynthia Nixon didn't get elected, right? She didn't. I I have no idea whether my governor is gay. Just it has not come up. Governor Hochul is her name. And I don't know. I might guess my liberal hellscape. Um, <laughs> it could be Massachusetts, where I'm from. Pretty. Much oh, you're from Massachusetts? Pretty much a liberal hellscape over there. Sure, the whole West Coast on there. It could be Oregon. It could be Washington. It could be several of the New England states. Let's go with let's go with Massachusetts and Vermont. You did have to go farther west. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, one was Oregon, which you did mention, and the other is Colorado. Oh, Colorado! Nice. Yeah, uh, Colorado is Jared Polis, who. Mm-hmm. Is I guess technically the first openly gay, like openly gay governor, because he is a man and therefore gay. Whereas Oregon, the governor is a lesbian, but she was elected first. But like, I guess that is different. Yeah, um, Kate Brown of Oregon. Yeah, gotcha. There is she's bisexual. It depends on whether we're using the like sort of narrow definition of gay, like a gay man, or like gay as like kind of an umbrella term, like kind of queer. Right. Yeah. So queer. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, them. There's also the governor of New Jersey back in the day. Uh, what was his name? Jim McGreevy. Hmm. He was not openly gay, but he resigned because he, he was outed for having an affair. Oh. Um, and when he... When he came forward with that, he coupled that with his resignation. So that doesn't necessarily count. Anyway, uh, cool. Question two. There was a Jeopardy clue a while back that made us turn Dan Marino into San Marino. Dan Marino played a vital role in what 1994 comedy in which the main character had to investigate and rescue him and the Miami Dolphins mascot, the bottlenose dolphin named Snowflake? This was not one of your go-to movies in childhood. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> okay. Dan Marino was in a 1994 comedy where the title character, did you say? Uh, yeah, title character. Okay. Yeah. Had to rescue him and a bottlenose dolphin named Snowflake? Yep. Okay. Well, I can tell you with certainty that I have not seen this movie. I'm utterly shocked and not really all that shocked. I can tell you it's not Free Willy because I have seen that one probably 150 times. <laughs> and Willy did not save Dan Marino, <laughs> to my knowledge. Um, Though he might have emotionally, we don't know. Yeah. I've got nothing. Um, I think a Scooby-Doo movie came out somewhere around that. We're going to say Scooby-Doo. Uh, this would be Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Oh! I did just admit to having never seen Ace Ventura Pet Detective, didn't I? You did. Yeah, put that one to the list of movies that I haven't seen that I should be ashamed <laughs> to not have seen. Uh, would it have helped if I had mentioned Jim Carrey? Yes. Would it? Okay. I think, okay. probably. I don't know. I mean, he was in a lot of... Yeah. Um, Fairly absurd things. But yeah, no, I think mentioning Jim Carrey might have gotten me there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, 
sorry. Uh, qu- question three. Questions about Ace Ventura Pet Detective are entirely fair game, and that's a that's a that's a blind spot for me. All right. Okay. All right, here we go. Question three. Uh, San Marino has been occupied a handful of times since its founding in 301. One of those times was by the papal forces under the command of Cesare Borgia, and it was restored after the Borgia Pope by Julius II. Julius II is immortalized in what fresco represented as the prophet Zechariah? In what fresco that includes the prophet Zechariah? Yes, he, Julius, is portrayed as the prophet Zechariah. Yeah, no, I, I got that. Um, the Sistine Chapel is coming to mind, but I'm not 100% sure that it's a fresco. But I don't know what else it could be. So I will go with the Sistine Chapel. That's good, because it is the Sistine Chapel. Ha <laughs> uh, ha yeah, ha. goodness. Julius II commissioned... Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel while Michelangelo was already working on Julius II's tomb as a sculptor. Hmm. And then he was like, Hey, I want you to come and paint the chapel because it's kind of dull and boring. And he's like, I am not a painter. Leave me alone. Let me do this. But apparently Julius II insisted. And so Michelangelo did it and hated it the whole time. (laughs) He was unhappy with it. Nice. You have 10 points. Question four, San Marino is one of three enclaved countries, uh, which we mentioned, but there are plenty of other enclaves around the world, which are simply parts of one country that are surrounded entirely by other countries, separating it from the, like the mainland of the country. One of those enclaves is internationally recognized as Nagorno-Karabakh. That region has been a source of tension, warfare, and ethnic cleansing for nearly 35 years. Which two formerly Soviet states claim sovereignty over Nagorno-Karabakh? There was even the first Nagorno-Karabakh War, which occurred from 1988 to 1994, and included a number of ethnic cleansings, including the Sumgate and Baku pogroms, as well as the Gugark and Kojali massacres trying to think through it baku sounds familiar but i can't remember the country trying to work through former soviet states in my brain georgia feels right for some reason but i'm not getting the second one and i'm not 100 percent sure it's it's georgia I can't even remember what's near Georgia. Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. And I'm like afraid of guessing a country that's nowhere near Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's Florida, there's South Carolina. I don't think Armenia is the second country, but I think Armenia is near Georgia. I'll just go with Armenia. Yeah, we'll say Georgia and Armenia. Well, Armenia is correct, but the other one is Azerbaijan. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, Nagorno-Karabakh is an enclave internationally recognized as belonging to Azerbaijan. However, they had, while the Soviet Union was collapsing, there were like different factions vying for whether they should be part of Armenia or whether they should be part of Azerbaijan or like whatever. And that Mm -hmm. 
that devolve from like peaceful political things to war and ethnic cleansing. So (laughs) as absurd as that is. So yeah, there we go. Okay. Yikes. I made this very hard. (laughs) I messed you up by not being familiar with Ace Ventura. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Question five. It was mentioned that Giuseppe Garibaldi and his wife, Anita found refuge in San Marino during the struggle for Italian unification. He has a fascinating story throughout uh, European and South American history, but I want to know what his followers were called. They took their name from the blouses or coats that they wore, but their efficacy in warfare suggests that they had better skills and survivability than their counterparts aboard the USS Enterprise. Oh. I mean... I'm going largely off of, entirely off of your Enterprise crew, but let's go with red shirts. Yes, they are the red yes. shirts. Ha ha! <laughs> yes, they are the red shirts. They were apparently very, very capable. Giuseppe Garibaldi, he's, he was way into Italian unification, mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of people didn't like that at first, and so he kind of like had to escape to South America, where he was just involved in a bunch of revolutions. Mm. And then he came back. And he did the Italian unification thing. He's he's an interesting guy. Nice job. All right, 20 points. Uh, the final is History of Christianity. Well, let's wager all of them then. I kind of figured. And then uh, the question is, St. Marinus escaped to Monte Titano for a few possible reasons. One of those reasons was the Diocletian persecution, or the last great persecution of Christians under Roman emperors. Other stories say he ran away from an insane woman who accused him of being the father of her child or something like that. Uh, Not sure. However, that story does lead to him being the patron saint of bachelors, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, talking about the Great Persecution, it began with edicts in 303 AD, but was effectively ended when Constantine and Licinius issued what fashionable edict in 313 CE? Oh, um, the Edict of Milan. That is the Edict of Milan, which gave Christianity a fair shake, I guess. Was like, you can do this now and you're cool. We'll protect it. Yes. Nice. Well, you got 40 points. There we go. All right. That's not bad. It's a decent recovery. Yeah. It's an amount. So (laughs) a number of points. (laughs) It is a number that is not a, you know, the smallest amount. Well, sometimes you ace the quiz and other times you learn stuff. I guess (laughs) sometimes both. Ideally. Yeah. Um, But hey, this was fun. And I know so much more about San Marino than I used to. Yeah. Uh, So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back with you next week with another week of Jeopardy, the second week of the Second Chance Tournament. Yes. Very excited for that. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.